Welcome, and thank you for joining the Unbiased Label Podcast, where we believe labels belong on clothes, not people. On this podcast, we have real talk focused on all things fashion and culture with a critical global perspective at the intersection of industry and academia. I'm your host, Zara Karutz, and I launched Unbiased Label after earning my master's in fashion critical studies from Central St. Martins in London. I'm now a PhD fashion studies researcher at Massey University, and I'm obsessed with pushing boundaries by holding deep conversations with meaning. Some people associate fashion with words like vapid or shallow, But really, fashion is a visual and material reflection of society, and it's a complicated system of communication. It shapes belonging, identity, and emotions. On this podcast, we believe fashion holds a lot of power that can create change towards a more equitable world, all while still having fun and being creative. What I would really like to create in our designs and in how we show up as a brand is product that at base makes people feel comfortable and confident in their bodies and that, you know, they can wake up and they can put on clothing that fits and look in the mirror and and see themselves and see themselves reflected. That is just like, that's the baseline. That's the starting point of of living, you know, a, a fully realized life. This episode is a conversation with Finnegan Shepherd, who is founder of Both and Apparel, a company that closed on $1 million seed round and is pioneering non-binary fashion, starting with apparel for trans men. The company is powered by the belief that trans masculine, non-binary, and gender non-conforming people deserve gender joy through fashion. On March 31st, 2023, Both And launched their first global advertising campaign, photographed by non-binary photographer Lydia Garretts of creative agency Wong Duty. This campaign launch coincided with Trans Day visibility and promoted the label's new denim line. The campaign is called Boys, Boys, Boys perhaps as a play on the phrase boys will be boys, which is often used to describe gendered stereotypes of masculine heteronormative behavior. Except in this case, instead of depicting cis men, the campaign uses trans men to define masculinity and sex appeal. A clear inspiration coming from the famed images of the 1990s Calvin Klein underwear campaign ads. The intention of the campaign is made explicit. It's all about being desired. Please join me as I talk with Finnegan via Zoom from his home in New Mexico. We talk about the growth of both and, the global campaign, and we dive into ideals of trans masculinity that no longer belong to cis men. I hope you enjoy this conversation as much as I did. 
Finnegan, you are founder, you're the CEO of both and apparel. You've recently hit the million dollar seed mark. Congratulations, first of all, but how are you feeling? I just want to get caught up with all your success. <laughs> well, thank you. I mean, I think that the challenge is always to operate in a kind of middle position where on the one hand, you take the time to pause and look back and see how far you've come and celebrate that and feel good. I think early on, I used to get attached to these milestones after which I thought everything would be easy and problems would be solved. And in business as in life, that's just never the case. You know, you you raise a certain amount of money or you hit a certain sales benchmark or you launch a certain number of products or whatever. And then it's just like, well, now you need to raise more money and you need to increase sales again and you need more products. And it's just that there's, there's a never ending Pandora's box of problems, small and large to solve every day, many of which are very fulfilling and, and fun to solve and some of which are, you know, acutely stressful to solve. But I think I try and, yeah, I just try and balance it. I try and be really grateful and excited about how successful both end has been and how much we've grown and also just stay humble and stay grounded and keep my eyes, you know, eyes on every just daily thing as it comes up and just push, push the boulder up the mountain one inch at a time. What you're talking about is the ups and the downs. This is a full throttle, all in endeavor, not a tippy toe endeavor. So for you, when was that point when you said, oh my goodness, I'm starting a fashion brand? How did this happen for you? It's <laughs> a good question. I'm not sure there was a singular moment. I think I have always been guided by the community and the kind of reaction in the community and the scale of the community. And so I think because it's always been based in people rather than you know, I need to grow a company X percent and then exit or any of these kind of like more quantifiable metrics that would drive business decisions. My responsibility and my ambition has kind of grown into direct proportion to the reaction that I'm getting from the community or the, or the number of requests I'm getting from the community of, of what to make and how to expand and how to better serve them. I didn't study fashion. As you know, I don't have a background in fashion or design or business. It very much began just out of my own experience of really wanting clothing that fit and that felt like an accurate representation of self and having kind of waited my whole life for somebody to do that and, and no one doing it. And, you know, at a certain point going, I mean, this is, this is absurd. Somebody has to do it and nobody's stepping up. So so I guess I should step up. It was very kind of humble and curiosity and just kind of lived experience oriented at the start. And then over the last three years, as I kind of started this ramble, I think just seeing how deeply it resonates with the community and how deep the need is and how much demand there is for us to grow and really become kind of the go-to brand in this space, I have adjusted accordingly and just tried to grow into the kind of founder that I need to be to be a steward for the brand. That's a really interesting point. And what is the community saying? I can only imagine that you've built a relationship with your brand community. So can you talk a little bit about the community, the growth? Yeah, I mean, I would say we're in a phase where we're going through the growth pains of, dare I say, scale and the fact that, you know, as as 
myself and the team kind of joke like Finn doesn't scale and what we did at the beginning in terms of me being the person who's on the front lines and answering you know every dm that we got and every email that came through and getting on zoom calls with anyone who had questions about fit and sizing that was really lovely and it was really lovely to ground the brand's early development in that but you could do that when it's you know one or two people a day and then when you get to 10 and then 100 and then a thousand that's not possible so I think we're doing our best still as quite a small team to balance what I hope feels like a very open and accessible and grassroots oriented mission where, you know, we still source our design ideas from the community. We still run polls, you know, like the, the denim that the colors we chose to design that was 100% decided by a poll we ran on Instagram. We are like, cool, we can afford to create two colors. Here are the three colors that we're considering, you know, rank choice, your favorites. And then that's what we ended up producing. So we're constantly still gathering feedback. On your website, you talk about gender euphoric wardrobe. And mm-hmm. I want to know what that means. I think a lot about what gender joy or gender euphoria means, both in terms of design and also in terms of like articulating that linguistically and visually as a brand. And I think I have a different interpretation than we often see represented by queer brands, which for me, euphoria really means confidence. I think often there's kind of this dichotomy expressed in the queer community. Someone recently was like, did you coin the term pride dichotomy? And I've never heard anyone else say it, but I think as over time, I've truncated my speech to use that phrase to articulate what I mean, which is that I think that the notion of pride in many ways relies upon or presupposes shame, that it's a pushing away from that requires that kind of base starting place that you are in opposition to. And I think that for many people in younger generations and, and the way that like being gender non-conforming is being talked about and, and thought about and represented, it doesn't fit into that dichotomy anymore. It's not about pride. It's kind of a, a almost kind of a post-pride notion. And I, what I would really like to create in our designs and in how we show up as a, as a brand is product that at base makes people feel comfortable and confident in their bodies and that, you know, they can wake up and they can put on clothing that fits and look in the mirror and, and see themselves and see themselves reflected. That is just like, that's the baseline. That's the starting point of, um, of living, you know, a a fully realized life where we're not constantly living in a state of, of friction or this dissonance between what we feel and know to be true about ourselves in the way that that's reflected back in the world. And to me, that's not so much the happiness of, you know, like uh, laughing for joy and jumping on a beach with the pride flag behind us so much as the simplicity of like putting on that crisp white t-shirt that fits you exactly the way you want it to fit. And that when you look in the mirror, the, the you that feels and you know to be true about yourself is reflected back. That's very real. So I'm wondering, what is your goal in representing trans men, specifically with your clothes and relationship to body and your brand? 
So the the starting inspiration for the the Calvin Klein campaign was a line that I mentioned sort of offhand to Grace Francis, creative director who ran the project last summer. And it was kind of in reaction to me watching the news. And and I was like, let's just run a campaign where we just say it. We just say the thing that the right is terrified of. And and the line was transmasculinity is the new masculinity. And I think that that phrase in many ways, it's it's two sides of the same coin. On the one hand, it shows the beauty and power in transmasculinity as this thoughtful, modern curation of masculinity, that it can pull on tropes or aesthetics or aspects that are associated with like traditional or classic masculinity, but it's done in this very intentional and curated and, and, and constructed mindfully kind of a way. And then on the other hand, it's it's what the right is so terrified by, is that it is this kind of attack on masculinity, because if anyone can participate in it. If anyone can make their own definition of it, then you know that is perceived as a threat. And so my goal as a brand, I think, is to really lead the charge in playing with that definition, playing with that kind of frontier of what does masculinity in the modern day look like when it's routed through this gender queer lens. You mentioned you're creating a construct of masculinity. I find that a very interesting notion. I just wondered if you can unpack that a little bit. So I wouldn't necessarily as much make the claim that our clothes are the construction of masculinity so much as that the that trans masculinity as an identity right now um, is a thoughtful construction of masculinity. And that's what I wanted to sort of play with in this campaign and with the brand in general. It's probably a less profound and simple answer when it comes to the garments, which is that you know, in my research, there, there's a movement in fashion, I think, to kind of erase gender or the delineation of gender or kind of in some ways homogenize or make sameness rather than division. And I think that that's what some people want, and I have nothing against that, but it's not what I wanted, and it's not what a lot of the people I've spoken to want. And so I think what I'm aiming for in my designs at both end is a multiplicity in the specificity of gender rather than the erasure of gender. And that comes down to very simple design decisions in terms of the patterns you create and, and how the garment will fall and the materials you use and what parts of the body it emphasizes and what parts it doesn't. And I would argue from a product perspective, that's the core value proposition that both and does it's very different than other brands on the market is we have taken to heart and in mind these the, the the kind of the the constantly cited requests of you know something as simple as like the community wants to feel like the muscle and the breadth in their shoulders is emphasized and they want to feel like you know the curve in the waist is de-emphasized you know so you build a garment that does that it just comes down to all these little elements that are kind of reiterated again and again as as the desired representation of gender in the community it's so interesting because you're talking about, like, for example, a T-shirt, which seems simple, but when you explain it that way, it's so complex. There's nothing mm-hmm. simple about it. Yeah, well, and I think one of the superpowers I have is, I, I remember early on when I was conducting research, I had two friends of mine who've worked in UX research come and help me in kind of building those surveys and collecting and analyzing the data. And they both were like, Finn, not only is the quantity of data you're getting incredible, but the quality of it is so high. I mean, most brands or companies are desperate to get anyone to answer their surveys. And then the responses are very like not 
particularly insightful or thought out. And I think this kind of superpower that both and has as brand is that this is a community that I would argue statistically is far more aware of their body and of fashion than kind of the average consumer. Because if you've spent your whole life like looking for that perfect white tee that you put it on and like you look like James Dean, you look like that idol that you have or that you ascribe, you know, your vision of masculinity to, and you're constantly running into these tiny little things that just grate at you of like, well, the shoulder seam is just a little too wide. And so it just kind of like makes me look delicate in it, or the sleeves are too long and and, and my muscle looks you know even smaller it's too long and it clings to the hips all these little elements you're hyper aware of them and so then conversely when you actually create a garment correctly as as we have done and people put it on and they look in the mirror and they're like oh my god that that's all the things those are all the things that bothered me over the course of my life and now they are fixed and i and i've heard over and over again from people that like they didn't even know that was possible like it, it just seemed it has been such an iterative experience of settling for a garment that's okay, that doesn't create complete dysphoria, but is never perfect, that the notion one that you could buy a garment that actually fits in exactly the way that you want is just like, has not even occurred to a, a large number of people in the community. Major. I mean, what you're describing is a very impactful experience and that's major. I don't know how else mm -hmm. to say that. I could go on intellectually, but hearing you describe that emotionally, I just think, wow, that's like, it's a big deal. So- yeah. Why launch a denim line? Because it was the most requested uh, style last year. Oh, wow. Yeah, people really, really wanted jeans, which I was afraid of because unlike t-shirts, I had no idea where to begin. The t-shirts, I felt like I had all these shirts I'd had over the course of my life where I'd noticed things that worked and then like a few things that would change. It was like, oh. Oh, that was my favorite shirt. If I if I could have just changed that one element, it would have been perfect. Denim, I I'd literally never had since adolescence a pair of pants that um, denim jeans that actually fit me. And so I really didn't know where to begin. I didn't know whether we wanted a stiffer denim, denim or a softer denim or what kind of cut and what kind of rise and all this different stuff. So really had to start from scratch. But it was so overwhelmingly requested that that's that's what we prioritized doing. I think we've had the fastest selfie rate of that style of any style we've ever launched. We, we thought we'd ordered enough for the year and we're almost sold out now. It's like two, two months after launch. Wow. Wow. That's amazing. So the campaign that was launched was in tandem with the launch of the denim line, right? Kind of. We, we launched okay. the denim actually in or pre-order for the denim pants in February, but we wanted the campaign to be around Trans Day of Visibility, which was March 27th. So it was shortly following, but it wasn't exactly the same time but in the campaign it's all the, the denim is featured right yes yes, yes. they're they're wearing both ends yeah and the t-shirts mm -hmm. and then some with just the denim yeah yeah in the yeah. video there's more of them in in our white tees and in most of the photography they're topless it was also totally accidental for them all to be tatted and tatted in such similar ways but in in retrospect i really i love that, uh, that as a casting decision um I, I i love that element with the shoot i want to dive into that in a minute because that's one of my questions but first mm. i want to ask you why the campaign why is it called boys 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 so the campaign basically was a gift given to me by Grace Francis, who's the chief creative officer at Wong Duty, and is just a total badass trans non-binary powerhouse. Um, and Jamie uh, was also the executive um, creative director on that. 
And they both just kind of worked tirelessly for this last year for us to be able to do this. I, I was introduced to Grace, yeah, about a year ago now. And from the beginning, they were like, I want to do a campaign for you pro bono. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to route it through Wong Duty. I came up with that line last summer about trans masculine and new masculinity. They came up with a couple different like ideations of what the campaign could look like. And but we still didn't have um, like any any kind of a budget to actually buy media space. And so when we closed the round, we tiny ha finally had a little bit more money. Um, and so we we're able to actually pull pull it off and, and launch it in time for Trans Day of Visibility. But the the really short answer is like I was just bopping along building both and this has been the case for many things that have happened and i was approached by an incredibly talented powerful person who wanted to help and was able to bring about this just really extraordinary moment for us and then the title uh was there was the promo bid um made as kind of the behind the scenes uh footage from the shoot and a queer musician in london who's a friend of the photographers has this track um I don't actually think it's it's called boys 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 but that's the refrain in the song and i was watching this video over and over and over again and i was just so obsessed with that it was definitely one of those moments where you're like oh my god we've come so far like i can't believe this is my brand this is wild and it was literally the day before the launch and i was starting to set up all the social assets and get everything to be pushed out and i just had that refrain in my mind of boys 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 and it just kind of clicked as like oh that's more than just like a, a hashtag to attribute to the campaign that's that's what we should call the whole thing um and i ran it by grace and jamie and they're like that's brilliant let's go with it so that's that's what we chose it's really badass and it's major because it hit all the major markets on a global scale it's in New York, London, Paris, and the cast of talent and stakeholders, the, the list of campaign credits is really, it, it's substantial. So it's, it, this is a big deal. This is a really, really big deal. And Thank you. I'm, yeah, I'm super happy for you. And it's, it's a great campaign. Uh, there's so much to talk about. And so I'm excited to unpack this, uh, you know, and just kind of get some meaning and get deep on it. But mm -hmm. before but I have to ask, how was it working with Daniel C? I love Daniel. Um, so that also was this kind of random thing where about a year ago, I was in LA, um, they were live streaming the new season of the L Word. So I was thinking about the L Word for the first time in a long time. And then I was like, I wonder what Max is up to because I still you know, thought of him as Max at the time. And he had really been the first trans mask character on tv i ever saw and was just so influential to me as a teenager seeing that character so i i just looked him up on instagram and i saw that he was following both and and i was like oh my god so i i i dm'd him and we just got to chatting and, and kind of hit it off immediately as friends which is really surreal to me and then we kept talking and started discussing actually doing a product collaboration together and i originally had suggested he be one of the models for this campaign and then in conversation with jamie and grace they kind of all three of them came to the conclusion that it would be better if he signed on as a creative director uh so he did and it was you know we had this really amazing um amazing call the day of the shoot Daniel and I zoomed in it was 6 a.m here because the shoot was kind of early afternoon in London and Daniel was in Vienna and so he zoomed in and everyone was gathered around and we both got to talk to 
the models and and everyone involved in the shoot and yeah again just like one of those surreal moments of like i cannot believe i'm on the zoom call where there's this room of just beautiful talented people doing the shoot for my brand and like max from the l word is like closing his eyes as i lead people through this kind of reflection on embodiment and seeing yourself reflected in the world and um yeah so that's a that's a very long-winded way of saying i feel just incredibly honored and privileged to now be in a position where i'm building something that that others who i have so admired and have been role models to me are now seeing the value in and, and wanting to be involved in yeah it's super iconic <laughs> Really great. So when it came to casting the models, how were the models chosen? What was that process? So I was only responsible for one third of it. I was really clear from the start that I wanted Arthur to be a model for us. Arthur's really been with our brand from the very, very beginning. And in many ways, like if I were to pick, you know, a quote unquote face for both and I would, I think I would probably pick him. He just felt very integral to our brand's development. And I had spoken with him last fall when the idea first came up and he personally studied fashion and was obsessed with those 90s style Calvin Klein ads. He was like, I, you know, I, I have pictures of those up in my bedroom. I've, I've been obsessed with those forever. So the idea that he could be involved in it felt really important. And then the other two were uh, selected and cast by Grace and Jamie on the Wong Duty team. I, I, I actually had very little to do with the actual execution of the campaign. It was really kind of, a, it was as though an agency I was paying came along and did this for me. Only I, I didn't pay. I was just along for the ride and, and got this amazing gift. But I was sort of like, I want Arthur to do it. I think it should be in London because you all are in London and makes most sense to be in London. And, you know, they ran long lists by me and I gave my preference, but ultimately they made the decision for the other two models. So we had three models, three trans masked men, Ty Hatting, Arthur McNair, and Ethan Denadai. Mm -hmm. Three men that were, and you mentioned this earlier, and I, I do want to dive in. They all are tattooed. It gives this sort of ethnically sort of ambiguous sort of look a little bit. Mm. Um, so I, I'm wondering, were the tattoos purposefully chosen? Is there some sort of adornment that they are prominence that they hold in meaning of the ad campaign? I would like to say it was premeditated and maybe Grace and Jamie would say that that was a decision they made having seen Arthur and then they cast the other two based on that I but I don't think that that's true I think that they were cast for different reasons and then the day of the shoot came and everyone took off their shirts and we realized how perfect it was and I've been thinking about it a lot since then in fact I've been working on this kind of cohesive brand strategy and really synthesizing where we are as a brand down into some like singular lines and this line I was thinking about yesterday was like where tattoos piercings and mullets meet the perfect muscle teeth as this kind of like, you know, back to the, this refrain I was talking about with you at the beginning of like the modernized classic, kind of the, 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 the classic masculinity now taken and kind of like twisted and queered in the modern day. And I don't think I would have been able to articulate that without this campaign really showing that to me and being like, oh yeah, like that's what we are. That's what our brand is. But I, I, I would almost say it kind of came together organically, slash accidentally, and then it was just this aha moment of like, yes, that that is what we are going for. 
I love it when that happens. That's the best, like sort of serendipitous magic. It's so great. Totally. That's yeah. interesting. So it, about the campaign, you have made a statement and I don't know where I read this, but you mentioned this idea of the hot as hell trans mask man. And I think that was grace, but, but yeah, I stand by it. <laughs> okay. So this idea of the, you know, hot as hell, I love this, like the, the sex appeal, like, so mm -hmm. from your lens and from this campaign, there was an intentionality of, and we're going to get into the 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 inspo perhaps of the the marky mark calvin klein but my first question is what makes a hot as hell trans mask man <laughs> you know i i think a lot of things can make it i mean i think it, it, a, a running semi joke i have with my community is as i was showing this campaign to people i was watching you know self-identified cis gay men and self-identified cis straight women getting all hot and bothered over the campaign i was like well you know you're succeeding when that when you've achieved that when when people who you know are not necessarily um have not previously identified themselves as queer or as you know specifically attracted to trans men are suddenly like oh my god like <laughs> whew, yeah like get me involved um and i think like that's kind of the tongue-in-cheek aspect of this campaign is that we didn't i think you see a lot in fashion these days or in the kind of like signaling of wokeness with other brands, like a real focus on trans bodies that are just trying to signal the fact that they're trans. And it's like, look, we're inclusive. Here's a trans body. Look at the trans body. And like trans can be beautiful too. Let's just say trans is beautiful. And just like this kind of like hyperfixation on trans as like the halo around everything. And that must be the entry point for everything. And Grace and Jamie and I were really clear from the start that we like, we didn't want, we weren't trying to hide transness at all in the shoot, but we also weren't trying to to like myopically focus on it. We wanted to do this just stunning, sexy shoot that you could have these posters up around New York or London or Paris and people could walk by them and be like, damn, that's a hot man. And maybe realize they're trans and maybe not, and maybe do a double take and maybe, you know, ha have a moment of kind of realization we're clicking together, but not have that be um, like the focused narrative. Um, and so I think, I mean, gosh, there's there's so much I could say about this, but I think it's about um, I am very I'm very ethically and philosophically dedicated to the both andness of identity that we are not one thing that we are many things that we are multiplicity of identities, and that this can be a brand that, on the one hand, centers a particular group or a particular body type or a particular set of design needs that have not been uh, served historically and on the other hand is not um does not become so heavy-handed about it or obsessed with it that it it uses that as as a stand-in for the whole like the these all of these models it's like yeah they all happen to be trans and they're also um tatted individuals they're also from different ethnic backgrounds they're from different countries ethan's from france they're different heights they have different hobbies they model in different ways they wear the jeans in really different styles there's like that i think i just i want to allow transness to be simply one among many elements in a presentation and for that presentation to just be empowering and sexy and kind of mind opening 
Yeah. And for me, when I look at some of the images, the sex appeal comes not uh, the it comes from the, the facial expressions, too. Like uh-huh, uh-huh. intensity who is the model that's is putting the shirt on with the with the beard that's ethan yeah ethan uh, ethan is very hot in that picture because he it's the look on the face and the yeah. act of putting it on and, and yeah. so there's it's 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 interesting to me the gaze when you when you're looking at the different p- images the the gaze goes to different parts it's not just the chest, some are the chest because they're exposed. Mm-hmm. There's tattoos. There's then the putting the shirt on. You're you see the shirt, so it's covering a lot. So you see the face. It you know, the gaze is drawn mm-hmm. towards different parts of the body. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. That was very intentional with the kind of the final images we selected to go on the posters. I mean, the, the whole bat, I mean, there there's so many incredible images that came out. We haven't even really released we've probably released like maybe a quarter of them but in in the choice of the final four that we ended up printing the gaze and the their eyes really was kind of the one of the key defining decision makers on which images we picked i could tell i mean i picked up on that immediately um yeah yeah they're great so going back to the campaign idea there is very much the calvin klein and I think this has been mentioned in the press release with the sex appeal of Marky Mark in the 90s. I mean, Calvin Klein really drove this sort of sex appeal of the underwear in the early 90s. So mm-hmm. can you talk a little bit about the intentionality behind that, that in- influence? Well, I mean, honestly, Grace would be better positioned to answer that because they were the one who came up with the creative concept. But as soon as I saw it, I was completely completely in I mean it would be my dream as a brand to be consistently reshooting these iconic moments in fashion with trans men Um, and I think there are many other moments I would like us to do and would be amazing for us to do but as a start I think it, it resonated to me because they were images that felt very much in kind of the public eye and zeitgeist when I was growing up and I while I was out in New York for the campaign, we also shot this this video narrative that we'll be releasing in the next few weeks. That's somewhat to do with the campaign and some, somewhat to do just a larger narrative about both end. But I think the point that I'm kind of making there is that growing up, I never saw myself reflected in the inundation of images around me and all these definitions of what it meant to be male or female. And I think that this is an experience that almost all... Uh, you know, the vast majority, if not all trans people, I think, um, resonate with of the kind of cognitive dissonance of of knowing yourself, knowing knowing who you are, and then trying to find the pieces in the world that co-create that and then reflect that back at you and that you you fit into and just like just never finding, just only seeing difference and dissonance around you. And the idea that we could take this moment that felt so kind of archetypally gendered and so binary and so charged with sexuality and then just, you know, sneakily queer it, make it different bodies, make it make it images that would have meant so much to me if I could go back in time and be a 12-year-old again and see those images and know those are trans men. Like that, that would have been life-changing to me to see. Um, and that's what I asked the models when, when I zoomed in with Daniel Say and 
I had been encouraged to talk about, you know, how far both end has come and blah, blah, blah. And, and, and instead I did this different exercise. I was like, close your eyes and imagine a moment when you were a kid or in adolescence and there was this image in the world, whether it was an ad or a best friend or somebody in a movie. And that perfectly encapsulated on the one hand, everything that you felt yourself to be, everything that you wanted to be. Um, and you lived in that kind of, yeah, that, that dissonance between going, yes, that's it, that's me. And then catching a reflection of yourself and going, wait a second, like, that's not me. That's not what I look like. And, and like, am I crazy? Like, am I like, what is, what is going on here? And, and then when you're modeling today, like do it for that 12 year old, do it for that child who, if they could go forward and like, know 15, 20 years from now, this is what you would look like. And he would be this like, just astounding, beautiful man on this shoot in London with all these talented people who were just like, you are the object of their attention and you are just killing it. And you're wearing these pants and you're feeling good. And you are, yeah, you were that image that you wish you could have seen growing up. So that was really the feeling that I wanted, the legacy I wanted to pass down in the campaign. There's really focus on, in the campaign, the sex appeal and desirability. Mm -hmm. Yeah. What what is the role in in the sex appeal and being desired and having the gaze when it comes to trans masculinity? I think it's beginning to shift, but I think that there have been really extreme and both relatively negative narratives um, or places for transness and sexuality in kind of the cultural zeitgeist slash eye. It's like Either it's really fetishized in a pretty problematic way, specifically with trans women, or it is kind of hidden and repressed. And I think a lot of the insecurity that trans men deal with in transition, and which I definitely dealt with in my own transition, was this feeling that like I'm always aiming to be this thing that ultimately I will fall short of, that I am trying to like imitate being a cis man. And at the end of the day, like no matter how well I succeed at that, like I will always on some level, quote unquote, fail at embodying that. Ergo, I am less desirable, I am less of a viable mate. You know, the the women that I'm attracted to will maybe be attracted to me, but secretly wish I was a cis man. You know, there's all these these narratives that I think um, really just undermine your confidence or sense of empowerment or like entitlement to sexuality and to being a desirable figure, not as, um, and not, and like, and that you're not just trying to imitate and, and, and fail at something else. And so I think one of the big shifts for me in my own journey and one of the things that I really wanted to be embodied in the campaign is through transition and through time coming to a place of being like, oh, wait a second, like, I'm not trying and failing to be a cis man. I am my own and different articulation of masculinity. And in fact, that is just as desirable and in fact, even more desirable <laughs> to some people and that there's no, there's no attempt to to, to be something that you're not. There is only the celebration and like full space given to what you actually are and to recognizing how charged and how sexy that can actually be. Yeah, that's very liberating. 100% agree with you. You know, exactly what you're saying, not trying to be something else, be who you are. I like that word that you use, entitled. There, there's a sense mm -hmm. of ownership and agency 
And I really celebrate that idea. And that's, to me, what makes this topic so important to talk about. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yes, I... I co-sign all that. I love that. You you are you are welcome to co-sign with me. Join <laughs> join the team, Zara. <laughs> I'm shaking my cheerleader pom-poms, Finn. <laughs> well, you have been for a long time now. I, I really appreciate the support and I, I appreciate the intelligence of the questions. Going back to Calvin Klein in the early 90s and on this particular Marky Mark shoot, John Barbados pioneered the boxer brief which Mm. I didn't know until I did a little bit of research around your campaign. And I Mm. find it interesting. So I wanted to ask you the importance, because we're talking about sex appeal and the gays and you have your t-shirt line and then you launched your denim line. And so in a couple of the photographs, the jeans are sagging. And so we can see some of the underwear Mm. through. So I'm wondering... My question is, what is the role of underwear in trans mask fashion? Hmm. It's a really good question. I would like to have a good answer. I'm not sure I have a good answer. I can say without being held to any public promises that it is something we are working on. I think, you know, at, at a very base level, and this isn't specific to transness, I think just underwear is that classic. And in some ways, it's kind of like the perfect compression of fashion down to the, I think we talked about this in our, in our first call. I'm really fascinated about how fashion is at once, like the being, uh, it is, if fashion operates well, if you are dressed in a way that feels like true to you, then people see you and see what you're wearing and they don't even really notice what you're wearing. Cause it seems like such an obvious extension of yourself. It's like, that's, that's just fit. Like obviously fit is wearing that it just seems like, you know, an extension of self. And then on the other hand, fashion is about becoming, it's about the signifying of self through this act of translation. Um, and I think underwear is is maybe one of the most compressed examples of that, of like the hidden and the revealed and what we are and what we aim towards. And obviously, you know, the most private part of the body and probably the most charged part of the body for transness. And so, um, yeah, it, it, it it's not the focus in the shoot in the way that it is with the boxer brief specifically, but I imagine, you know, from the creative direction perspective and with Lydia, the photographer shooting, it was definitely in the back of their mind of like, yeah, like the, the body is present here and the, the visibility of underwear points to that. It's it's yet another thing to like have a intellectual double take about. So is there a specific point on the body that you think is the focus based on your research for trans men? I would almost say it's a totally different answer if we're talking about dysphoria versus euphoria. Probably the most charged would be the chest. Um, if, if I had to choose, I think the chest kind of represents what feels like it can go through kind of the most extreme transformation from a space of dysphoria to a space of real pride. And like, here I am and I'm out in the world and look at my chest, which in and of itself, you know, that that's one of the things that I love about this campaign is if you look, there are scars, but they're also not as blatantly obvious as they are with some trans mask models. Um, and so it's kind of presence and absence and a different chest and also not a different chest. And uh, are you looking? Are you not looking? Does it even matter in the first place? Um, but yeah, the, the chest is the chest is pretty charged. That one image, it's a very relaxed sort of pose. It doesn't feel overly posed. It seems very natural. Mm-hmm. There's a comfortability. There's a 
easeability. And I think it's that easeability. That's the sex appeal. Yeah. I mean, I think what all of those models represent, which is so much what I want to represent and to foster as a brand, is that feeling of living in your own articulation and representation of masculinity and feeling completely confident and comfortable in it. And all of those models are doing it just to a T in that shot. You are so great. Every time I talk to you, you inspire me with your knowledge. And I love the campaign. <laughs> I'm so happy for you. It's a privilege to talk about your brand. Thank you so much. Of course. I'm always happy to help. And talking with you is likewise really a treat for me. Thank you for listening to the Unbiased Label Podcast. If you've enjoyed the show, then please connect with us on social media, tell a friend, and leave a review. Please tune in next time for more conversation on fashion and culture from a critical global perspective at the intersection of industry and academia. Until next time, stay well.